0: said in matthew 28 verse 19 go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost welcome to go teach all nations bringing you christ's teachings through australian and international speakers and here is today's presenter pastor andrew russell
1: i can begin by telling you that a challenging time came upon the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the 1950s, a very, very challenging time. And uh, what took place then was that there was a man by the name of Walter Martin. Anyone heard of Walter Martin, 1950s? couple of hands. This is very important for you um, as a church to, to know, a little bit of history. Walter Martin was a a Christian who walked into the General Conference headquarters of the 7th Avenue Adventist Church at the time in Washington, D.C. All right, let me bring that up for you. I'm going to give you a visual. There he is there. And he, he had been, he'd been writing about different cults, and he'd been exploring cults within the Christian community. And uh, that's a well-known book there, The Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, this is an updated version you can see even Ravi Zacharias' his name there, down the bottom. How many have heard of Ravi Zacharias? Okay, great speaker on apologetics. And so Walter Martin walked into the office of the General Conference in Washington D.C. and he said, "I'm going to write about the Seventh-day Adventist Church as the next cult that I'm going to write about. You'll be in my next. Uh, my, my next book will be about you." And so. Um, he said, and I've come here today, I want to get some additional resources. So imagine that. You walk into the Seventh-day Adventist General Conference head office, and you say, I'm gonna write about you as a cult, can you give me some resources? Right. And so um, much to his surprise, he thought he was gonna get kicked out, but much to his surprise, he was invited in. And he was invited into the office of L. E. Froom, who was our leading General Conference researcher um, uh, at the time, and from uh, and sorry, Froome asked two other gentlemen. I just want to get their names two other general conference workers to be present Roy Allen Anderson, he was secretary of the General Conference Minister- Ministerial Association at the time, and W.E. Reed, a second general conference researcher. So he invited those two in as well with him to speak with Walter Martin. Well, that began a series of meetings. It began a series of meetings in which SDA doctrines were thoroughly questioned and researched. Some of the meetings even took place on national American television on the John Ankerberg show. You can see the image down the bottom there. It even went on to national television because basically here was a man that was considering the Seventh-day Adventist church to be a cult. And so he wanted to find out, he wanted Seventh Adventist to give an answer for what they believe in. And uh, he said, come on the national television as well, John Ankerberg there, and answer some questions. Let the people hear about what you believe. Well, after a lengthy period of time and in investigation through this process with Walter Martin, he eventually conceded that the Seventh Adventist Church was not a cult and he never wrote his book. But I tell you, when you look at some of those interviews, some of them on YouTube, it's, it's very, very pointed questions. And you know, uh, as a Seventh-day Adventist, if you don't know how to answer those questions, you're in big trouble. They were not easy questions to answer. Jesus said we would be, uh, his people would be dragged before the, 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 the great courts and before the great people of the world to give an answer for their faith. And here was something along those lines, uh, as the whole Christian evangelical community were looking on to see what Seventh-day Adventists would say about what they believed. One of the topics of discussion regarded Michael the Archangel. You see, SDAs were teaching that before Christ came as a man, he existed as Michael the Archangel. Some say Archangel. He existed as Michael the Archangel. Now, for Walter Martin, that was a huge concern because Walter Martin had already been writing about and identifying Jehovah's Witnesses as a cult because some of their teachings, and they believed that Jesus was Michael. Are you with me? So that was one of the things that he he set his alarm bells off for him. Um, However... With further study and dialogue, he realized that SDAs did not believe the same as Jehovah's witnesses, but that Michael, the archangel, did in fact share an equal and exalted position with that of the Father and of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. You see, Jehovah was saying that you know, Mike, Christ existed as, Mike, as Michael, uh, the archangel, and therefore he was a created being. He was the firstborn of God's creation. Okay? We're a 7th Adventist. We don't believe that, right? We believe, no, he's part of the Godhead. He is equal with the Father and the Son. But yes, before he took on human flesh as Christ, he existed as Michael, the archangel. And this morning, we're going to look at the biblical basis for the role of Michael and his angels. Now, we're going to begin with a scripture now. Go with me in your Bibles. We're going to be- begin with a scripture now that is not so much concerned with... Uh, Uh, naming Michael here, but he's more uh, concerned with the position that he takes. And so we're going to go to Exodus chapter 23. Go with me to Exodus chapter 23 in your Bibles. I thought I'd share this with you because when I talked about the incarnation the last couple of presentations I did, I mentioned Michael and I thought I'd better give you a biblical uh, basis for that. Because there are those still, if you jump on the internet, I still see some of those accusations. Seventh day Adventists believe that Jesus is a created angel. Okay, now we want to get a correct understanding from the Word of God and, and put some of those uh, faulty understandings or faulty interpretations to rest concerning our faith. So, what chapter did I say? Exodus chapter 23. Let's go to verse 20 and verse 21. 20 and verse 21. Are we there, church? Amen. Okay, notice it says, Behold, I send a what? I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. How many of you have that word angel in a capital A in your Bible? A few of you? Not all Bibles have it that way, right? That's why it's always good to get the King James, amen? (laughs) And new King James has it too. It has a capital A. Did you notice something significant about that angel? Did you notice something that that angel has that no other angel in the Bible has? Did you notice what it was? God's name. I hope God's name is in other angels too, but yeah. Name is a reference to character. What else? Sorry? Pardon your transgressions. This angel can forgive sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, there's only one person that I know that can forgive sin, and that's God. Isn't that right? No created angel can forgive sin. Because God is king, it's his throne, and sin is an act of rebellion against God himself. So we notice now, angel here, this angel is able to forgive sin. He's able to pardon your transgressions. And so that's why he's different. He can pardon sin. I want you to notice what else it says. And I want you to see that this is consistent with Jesus and some things he said did you did you pick up anything else what was this angel going to do he was going to keep them in the what in the in the way you see that do you remember Jesus saying anything about the way he said I am the way the truth and the life what else was this angel going to do he was going to take the people to a place that was what prepared. Do you remember Jesus saying anything about a place prepared? What did he say? John 14 verse 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he said, and I go there to what? Prepare a place for you. You see, sometimes we read the New Testament and we don't even realize where it's drawing from. And that's why that devotional time, that time of meditation on the scripture is so important because it, 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 it connect, God will connect you to other things that he, he has written and he will help to open up the plan of salvation to you. And so this angel, he can pardon sin. He's going to keep God's people in the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He will lead God's people to a place already prepared. Jesus said, I've prepared a place for you. And there was something else here. It says, in verse 22, it says, but if you shall indeed, what? Obey "Obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. And so his voice was to be obeyed. His voice was to be what? Obeyed. So God appointed this angel to speak to the children of Israel, to speak to the nation of Israel. Yes, is that clear from the Bible? Yes. Amen. So when God's speaking to the children of Israel, who's speaking? Amen. This angel, isn't that right? Yes. Now, now the word angel, you see most people associate the word angel with, um, with a flappy wing created being, isn't that right? Yes. Okay, but the word angel actually means... Anyone know? (laughs) Means messenger or representative. It actually means messenger or representative. So God had appointed a messenger or a representative to speak to the children of Israel, to lead them in the way, to pardon their sin. This is what the word actually means. And so you can see... And I'm sure you were all able to see now that this uh, messenger was mirroring the characteristics of Christ even in his ministry. Isn't that right? He's mirroring the characteristics of Christ in his ministry. Now, he is later referred to as the Lord of hosts because he will command the children of Israel as an army and deliver them from their enemies. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Notice 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember, he's the one that's going to speak to the children of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to read the first three verses. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And it says here, We found the book, Samuel? Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Hearken now to the voice of the words of the Lord. And it says, Thus says the Lord of," of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So notice here, I've got this on the screen for you. Notice, um, they are to hearken to the voice of the words of the Lord. Remember, God appointed this messenger or this representative to speak to the children of Israel. Isn't that right? And he, in verse, uh, verse 2 there, it says that he's, called the, he's referred to as the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And so host, does anyone know what the word host means? A lot of people. One army is referred to as a host. And so the Lord of hosts, now he's commanding the children of Israel to go as an army against the Amalekites. You see, um, God's special angel here is commanding the children of Israel into battle against the Amalekites. Because the devil had inspired the Amalekites to come against the children of Israel. And they are a threat to the children of Israel. And so God commands them. Uh, and so now he commands Israel to go uh, and, and fight against them to derail The work that the devil is trying to do. You know, Satan can inspire nations. That's what we learn when we read this. Satan can inspire people. He can inspire nations to come against God's people. And often, when you read in the scriptures, they're referred to as the enemies of Israel. Okay? They don't just come of their own accord. Satan will not see God succeed in his plan of salvation. You know, one of the things I, 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 one of the songs I first heard, children's songs I first heard when I came into the Seventh day Adventist Church was that song that says, I'm in the Lord's army. Who who sang that when they were kids? (laughs) I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, right? And this is where we get it from. Do you believe you're part of the Lord's army? That's how how God thinks of you, not just as, as his children. Not as his redeemed only. Not only as His disciples, but we're part of His army. And what does the army have to do? Tell me, what is the number one purpose of the army? Fight. Thank you. Protect. To defend the throne. To defend the throne of God. To defend the integrity of the King. Amen? That's the only reason they fight. It's to defend the honour of and the throne of the king. That's why the Bible says, you know, blessed are the those whose feet go and carry the gospel forward. Amen. That's why we do what we do as a church when we we hold mission and we and we work together. And, and you know. <laughs> you know, I, I remember one soldier saying, of uh, that when he goes into battle, you know, um, a girl uh, interviewed him and asked him, you know. Mm-hmm what's it like when you go into battle? Are you afraid? Do you know what he said? He said, of course, you know, it's confronting. He said, but the number one thing that really we are taught and that, and that I try to do is that I'm always looking out for the person next to me. That's what we're taught to do in the army, is to look out for each other. I'm amazed when people get upset with me as a pastor when I come and give them counsel or I tell them, hey, brother, you're heading in the wrong direction. Hey, sister, come back to the Lord. People get upset. They say all kinds of things against the pastor, and you experience the same if you, you know, the Bible says, uh, you know, um, what is it? Um, Open rebuke is better than secret love. It's better that we speak. It's better that we encourage it in love. Amen? Not in condemnation. Not in condemnation, but come in the Spirit of Christ. Because as an army of the Lord, we are to look out for each other. How many of us can say we're doing that? The Bible tells us to esteem others better than ourselves. For not men to look always on their own things, but to look on the things of others. And brothers and sisters, and we do that as a church, oh, you just watch what God's going to do with us. Amen? All hands on deck. All working together. All looking out for each other. I've got your back. Have you got my back? By the grace of God, let's have each other's back. Amen? By the grace of God, let's have each other's back. Because rather moving against the purposes of God, We're in the Lord's army and Christ is our commander. And I want Christ to be my commander, amen? (laughs) Because it's a fierce battle and we see people falling and, and, and being taken out all the time. Very sad. People get discouraged, go somewhere else for whatever else, you know? Very sad. And that's just the devil working to divide the Lord's army. But let Christ be our commander. Now the transition from from Michael to Christ is seen clearly in the book of Revelation. Okay? But we can see here that that, um, this Lord of hosts, who is the angel, is also referred to as the angel of the covenant. Maybe I should have mentioned that to you. When we read in Exodus 19, where God said, You know, I've appointed my angel to lead you in the way, and you know, obey His voice and He'll pardon your transgression. He'll, he'll, you know, He's going to drive out your enemies from before you. And so with, that was part of a covenant that God was making with the children of Israel. And so He was referred to also as the messenger of the covenant. Here He's referred to as the Lord of hosts as He speaks to the children of Israel. And that word Lord, by the way, if you're reading in, in probably most Bibles, it's in capital letters when it's in the Old Testament. you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament? Do you know why it's in capital letters? Because it's actually, in the regional language, it's actually Yahweh or Jehovah, right? And so the translators, because God's name was holy, they decided not to use that, but just to put put it in capitals in English so that you could recognize that, hey, this Lord of hosts, this messenger of the covenant, this representative that was appointed to the children of Israel, he is the I am. He's God in the highest sense. Incredible what He would do. And so let's go to Revelation chapter 12 verse um, verses 9. Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 to 10. And you know I've always when I've looked at this text I wondered you know it's kind of like out of you know, why does, why does Revelation 12 talk about a war in heaven? This kind of seems a bit. Because um, it talks about, if you read Revelation 12, firstly, it talks about the time when Christ was born. This is a prophetic chapter here. And then it talks about his ascension to heaven. Then it talks about the woman going into the wilderness. What does the woman represent? The church, and then it goes to the war in heaven all of a sudden. You ever notice that, for those of us who have read it? And you think, why did it jump the war in heaven? Then it comes back to earth. And it's because, it's because here, when we read from verse 7 down, it's, it's really talking about this transition that, that Michael makes to Christ, okay? In terms of the battle between good and evil. So let's read from verse uh, 7 to 11. It says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was what? Cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice. Saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Do you notice it began by describing Michael in this battle, and then it transitioned to Christ? Do you see that? In this battle. And there's this, and so really, uh, Christ is continuing the battle from heaven. He led the heavenly angels, He led the heavenly agents of heaven, and, and then He continues the battle on earth, and He's leading the children of Israel. Mike L. L is the Hebrew form for God, one who is like God. Mike L. And so Christ is the center of this battle between good and evil, as Michael and then as Christ. Christ, of course, refers to his humanity. Now, why don't you notice how Michael calls upon angels and men to work together against the forces of evil? And we see this now at a time when Daniel, at around 90 years of age, Um, has been given certain visions concerning the children of Israel. Daniel's an old man here. We'll go to Daniel chapter 10 in your Bibles with me. Daniel's an old man here, um, but he's been given some visions concerning the future of Israel, and they are troubling to him as well. And so the angel Gabriel uh, has appeared to him regarding some of these visions in the past, And again, Daniel is being visited by a heavenly heavenly messenger to reassure him of the things that he has seen in vision. Okay? Just give you a little background there. So Daniel chapter 10. Now this is a real eye-opener. Daniel chapter 10, some people, you know, what's going on here? But if you really look closely at it, it's a real eye-opener. God's going to give us a visual a visual into the battle that's taking place behind the scenes that you and I ordinarily, we cannot see. It involves holy angels. We cannot see it, but in Daniel chapter 10, God's going to open that veil so we can see now what's happening behind the scenes. Go with me here and let's read firstly from Daniel chapter 10 verses 1 to 3. It says in the what year? In the third year of who? Cyrus, king of Persia. That's important. When you read... Whenever there's something stated like that, that's a time reference for you. God's given you a time reference of when this is taking place. So, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and and had understanding of the vision. Now, this is particularly relates to the vision uh, that was given him in Daniel eight and Daniel chapter nine, the previous two chapters. And uh, there's timeline there's time visions there that is also being given to Daniel with, uh, as it, it concerns his people. And, and notice here, it says in verse 2 In those days, I, I Daniel, was mourning three, how long? Full weeks. weeks. Three full weeks. How much is three weeks? three weeks? 21 days. Okay, remember that. Three full weeks. And Daniel says, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Jump down to verses 10 now, and let's read 10 to verse 14. And notice it says here, And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Here's this heavenly messenger now. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. Someone has sent him, isn't that right? And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, Your words were heard, and I am come for your words. What does it mean that Daniel chastened himself? We read it before. He ate no pleasant bread. He ate no flesh or wine. What does that mean? Daniel, Daniel, in seeking the Lord, put the comforts of this life aside. And for three weeks, he supplicated the throne of God for the sake of his people. Do you pray for your church? You pray for your fellow members? You know that the battle is fierce. You know what's going on in the lives of other people. Sometimes we don't know, but I tell you now, Satan is at work. Daniel supplicated the Lord, he said, Forget my food. He didn't go without anything. But he just put aside all that stuff he normally eats, and he said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have this time of sacrifice. I'm just going to have this quiet time with God, and I'm going to, and I'm going to supplicate God's throne and, uh, until God speaks to me and reassures me and lets me know what's going on and lets me know how I can help. And God answers that prayer. You ever fasted? Do you know what it means to fast? I remember visiting a home sometime and I was doing studies with the, with the teens in the home and the parents were often, away. they were still coming home from work, but I'd spend time in the afternoon with a group of teens and we studied together. And I remember the parents came home one day and one of the kids said, hey, Dad, Pastor Andrew fasts. <laughs> They'd never fasted. The kids had never seen fasting in the home. And yet, we think of the time of Esther. Everyone fasted, isn't that right? When Satan was bringing uh, the wrath of the Persians against them, against the children of Israel. Esther called for a fast three days. No food, no water. You read it. Three days. And God delivered them. When things get tough in your life, brothers and sisters, call on the name of the Lord. Set some time aside. Because even Jesus said, some things do not go but by prayer and fasting. Amen? All the health professionals are telling us these days that fasting is very good for you. There are people that are not even Christian that are fasting. Give your organs a rest. Give your, body a chance to, your organs a chance to rest as well. Daniel understood what it meant to love his neighbor. And so we can learn wonderful things here about what it means to love our neighbor and what it means to call upon the Lord of hosts, the commander of the children of Israel, the commander of the church. And so let me read on for you. And uh, we read verse um, 13. Notice what it says here now. Okay. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Or twenty-one days. How long was Daniel praying? Twenty one days. See that? So this this angelic being comes now and he says, Daniel, he says, Look, from the first time that you, you began to pray and you wanted to understand, uh, you know, I've been sent. God has heard your words. In verse 13, he says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, who? Michael. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. What's going on here? Can a king of Persia withstand an angel? but it's saying that he did but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days but lo Michael notice the key words here one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia and verse 14 says now I am come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the what? in the last days or in the latter days do you know that this reference is for you and for me? This is for people that are living at the end of time. These visions concern people living in the last days. Daniel has been given a a vision that that spans the length of time, right down to the very end. And Daniel, his his compassion stretches to you and to me sitting here today. For yet the vision is for many days. Let's jump now to verse twenty. And verse 21, you remember Michael came and, and he helped the other, he helped the angel, isn't it? Look here at verse 20 and 21. Notice it says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I, I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. What's his angel going to do now? He's going to fight with the prince of Persia. Now, it's most likely this is Gabriel. He's not mentioned as Gabriel, this angel. But if you read in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel came to Daniel and pretty much said the same thing. Daniel, you are greatly beloved. I've come to help you to understand the vision. Okay? And so it's most likely this angel Gabriel is speaking to Daniel here now. But now he's saying, look, I've got to return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha will come. Now Daniel is writing this in the third year of Cyrus the king. Daniel, when, he, when Daniel records this vision, he's living in the time of the Persian Empire and already God's people are being informed that the next kingdom to arise will be the kingdom of Grisha. And when you look in the history books, you find out that the, very, the next kingdom that succeeded the Persians, there's movies on it, great battles. Alexander the Great came along and he conquered the Persians and the Greeks ruled the world. And when Daniel wrote this, it it hadn't taken place yet, but he's been told that the kingdom of Grisha would come. So, Gabriel's going to go back to fight the prince of Persia, and then the prince of Grisha will come. Now, notice in verse 21 what he says to Daniel here, But I will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth. Well, hold on a sec. Gabriel's saying i have got to show you these things, Daniel, because Daniel was already shown in Daniel chapter 2, he was shown that great image, the head of gold, chest and arm of silver. Remember that? You see, that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar, that vision, but Daniel was given the understanding of that vision, and Daniel was already shown that there would be kingdoms that would arise. Right? Babylon would be succeeded by a second kingdom, Medes and the Persians. Medes and the Persians would be succeeded by the kingdom of brass, right? Historians call the the Greeks, the Greek army, the the brazen coated Greeks or the brass coated Greeks, okay? Greeks came and they conquered and then following that came Rome. So Daniel's been already seen this. In Daniel chapter 7, there's a repeat of that vision again. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And so, and so Gabriel, he's saying, Daniel, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm reaffirming, I'm giving you understanding of what you're seeing, what you've been shown, okay? And then he says, at uh, the second half of verse 21, he says, And there is none that holds with me in these things but, who? Michael, Michael your? Prince. Prince. Are we instructed to call angels princes? No. No, angel, you are not there. But Michael... Is Daniel's prince. you know anywhere else in the Bible where it refers to Jesus as a prince? The, the prophecy? Isaiah 9.6. Thank you, Patrick. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But Michael's one of the chief princes. Who are the other chief princes? The Father and the? Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen? The Father and the Holy Spirit. And so, did you catch what's happening here? Remember I said God's given us a window into the battle behind the scenes. Angels fighting with the prince of Persia. Alright. Spirit of Prophecy explains it much better than I could, okay? Okay. I could explain it to you, but I'm going to let the Spirit of Prophecy speak. This is from Daniel and Revelation series. And notice how this is explained. Okay, what's taking place here in Daniel Chen. Ah, Spirit of Prophecy says, right, Sister White writes, Ah, how little do we realize what is going on in the unseen world in relation to human affairs. How little do we realize. Here, as it were, the curtain is for a moment lifted and we catch a glimpse of the movements within. Daniel prays. The creator of the universe, what everyone? Hears. He the command is issued to Gabriel to go to his relief. But the king of Persia must act before Daniel's prayer is answered. And the angel hastens to the Persian king. Satan, no doubt, musters his forces to oppose. The king of Persia has to do something. But, you know, and Angel Gabriel has gone there first before he comes to Daniel. But now Satan comes with with his host of fallen angels and he's trying to oppose. Notice it goes on. They meet in the royal palace of Persia. All the motives of selfish interest and worldly policy which Satan can play upon, he doubtless uses to the best advantage to influence the king king of Persia, against compliance with God's will, while Gabriel brings to bear his influence in the other direction. The king struggles between conflicting emotions. Day after day passes away, yet Daniel prays on. The king of Persia is in the valley of indecision. Satan is whispering things in his ear, trying to... to, get him to be self-serving and worldly, right? But Gabriel is whispering something else in his ear, trying to to get him to to do God's will. Remember when Cyrus took the throne in Isaiah 45, verse 1, 150 years before Cyrus was born, Cyrus was named in the Bible in Isaiah 45, verse 1. And when the Persians came and conquered the Babylonians, historians say that he was shown that prophecy. The Jews showed him that prophecy where he was named as the conqueror. And he was named as a conqueror in the context of that he would do God's will, the God of Israel. He didn't even know the God of Israel until that point. And so the king is in, uh, in conflicting emotions. Notice it says he hesitates, he delays, day after day passes away, yet Daniel prays on. The king still refuses to yield to the influence of the angel. Three weeks expire and lo, a mightier than Gabriel takes his place in the palace of the king. Who was that? Michael. Michael. goes on to say, And Gabriel appears to Daniel to acquaint him with the progress of events. From the first said he, Your prayer was heard. But during these three weeks, which you have devoted to prayer and fasting, the king of Persia has resisted my influence and prevented my coming. The king of Persia was to continue with the decree for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the establishment of the temple of Jerusalem again that was destroyed by the Babylonians. That's what's been taking place here. You see that? And, and Satan wants to stop that progress He wants to to stop the king from continuing with that decree. But Gabriel goes and, and he's whispering, right? You see, angels minister to kings and queens, brothers and sisters. Angels minister to you and me. The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him, the Bible says, and delivereth them, isn't that right? angels minister to us and they do so at the behest of Michael the archangel arch from the Greek word "arche," it means the beginning or the first or the preeminent not that he's a created being but he is the Lord of hosts he is first among the angels of heaven and brothers and sisters he wants to be first amongst us also And when the angel's not succeeding, Jesus says, I'm coming. Michael comes and he says, let me deal with it. And he succeeds. And he succeeds because Jerusalem is restored and the temple is rebuilt. Isn't that incredible? Oh, look at what's happening behind the scenes, brothers and sisters. You better know that when you pray, God hears. Amen? Never doubt that God hears. When we pray for our politicians, God hears. I see people get so upset, you know. You see America at the moment. Ever since Trump came to the you know to the presidency, oh America's been thrown in all sorts of people damning him and, 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 and most unchristlike kind of behaviors coming out and, and you know, and all of this. And you know what? If you're worried about him, pray. Amen? Pray. If you're worried about anyone, pray. Because God hears those prayers. God hears those prayers. How tirelessly Michael leads the heavenly angels to speak to men and women as he did in Daniel's time. How tirelessly he leads heavenly angels to speak to our conscience. And the question is, are we cooperating with the voice of reason? But let's go a little closer as we find out why the temple had to be rebuilt. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. and notice here that this term messenger of the covenant is employed here now the Bible says in verse 1 it says behold I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me now messenger there is referring to John the Baptist okay let's give you a bit of context Because there's a prophecy that spoke of John the Baptist that he would come before Christ would come. Isn't that right? But I want you to focus on the next part of the verse. And the Lord... And the who? And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. That messenger that God appointed... To Israel, who was leading them and would forgive their sin, this prophet said that the Lord of hosts, he would come to his temple. Did Jesus come to the temple? Amen. And when he got there, did they recognize him? They said to him, By whose authority are you doing these things? Remember, he turned over the tables, trying to usher the corruption out of the temple. And they said, by whose authority are you doing these things? He came with the authority of the Godhead, amen? Amen. Obey His voice and He will forgive your sins. That was what was said of the messenger of the covenant. And so, Michael, here's the thing, in the plan of salvation, in the plan of salvation... Michael, as the divine prince, swore to carry out that part of the covenant that pertained to God. When God said, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be a peculiar treasure to me. Above all people, a holy nation, you remember that? That was part of the covenant. That's what God was saying, right? The children of Israel had to say, okay, yes, Lord, we're going to put our faith in you. Okay. God said something before that. He said, I'm the one that delivered you out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt. That's a symbol of saving grace. And once once you find yourself delivered from the bondage of Satan, you come into a relationship with Jesus where he says, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so part of this covenant now is that where God's gonna do his part. He says, Look, I'm gonna forgive your sin. I'm going to be merciful to you. My angel, he will pardon your transgression. And he's going to lead you in the way. And he's going to lead you to the place that, that i prepared for you. Isn't that right? See, that's, that's the covenant. But as Michael, God was fulfilling, as, as, the, as Michael, the divine archangel, he was fulfilling that part of the covenant that related to God. Are you with me? He was going to be a defender of Israel. He was going to forgive their sin, Right? Yes? yes? I want to make sure we're all on track, okay? But notice here. But he also as Christ swore to carry out that part of the covenant that pertained to man, that pertained to you and me. See, children of Israel, they failed, didn't they? I'm speaking in general terms. They didn't all fail. There was a remnant. But there were those, and the great majority failed of God's purposes. And Christ came to succeed where you and I have failed. But he remains, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, he remains as Michael when he led fulfilling God's side of the covenant, and then as Christ fulfilling man's side of the covenant, he remains as the mediator between God and man. Amen? 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Paul says that that even though we failed, in Romans 8 verse 4, he says, even though we fail, but when we come and we allow Christ to be the messenger of the covenant, when we allow him to, to lead us into the, into the place that he's prepared for us, Paul says that he will fulfill his righteousness in us. He will fulfill the righteousness of the law in us. You know what that means? That means through, the, through, uh, through Christ leading our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the ministry of the heavenly host, the ministry of the holy angels, and through the church, ministering to each other, and looking out for each other, we'll be able to keep the commandments of God. Because of the ministry of Christ. And so He continues to lead us We know that when he died on Calvary and he rose again, he retained his form as a man. And one day we will look into the face of Jesus Christ and we will see the scars on his hands and on his feet. Christ, how faithful is He? He fulfills God's side of the covenant as Michael, and then as a man He fulfills our side of the covenant because we have failed. And through His grace and through his, our reconciliation, God, now, once again, we have a new hope, a lively hope in Christ Jesus. I want to... Um, Let you know that Christ went through a lot for you and me. In the Old Testament, we see Him commanding the angels. In the New Testament, we see angels ministering to Christ as He endeavors to do for you and for me what was needed for our salvation. Absolutely incredible what He did For his people and what he's done for you and for me. And the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, I have to give this our last verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go with me there. And it's so clear who Michael is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read. Let's read verse 16. And verse 17, notice what it says. Paul's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, amen? With the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. There's no disputing that, the, that, that Christ has the voice of the archangel. You know how we know for sure? Because the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. And you listen to what Jesus said and what John recalls Jesus saying in John 5, verse 28, verse 29. He said, Marvel not, Jesus said, for the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Brothers and sisters, praise the Lord for Michael. Amen. The Lord of hosts, the archangel, Christ. Oh, when the King Humbert of Italy inherited the throne. A little bit of history for you here. Naples teetered on the verge of insurrection against the monarchy. The people were not happy with the monarchy of Italy at the time. Politicians urged violent measures to force the people into submission. Kind of what happened in uh, Hong Kong at the moment, isn't that right? But the king did not allow this. So the politicians were urging violent measures against the people to basically beat them into submission. But the king, King Humbert, said no. Then there was an outbreak of cholera broke out in the city and the dreaded disease raged with fury. Many people were taken by it. The young king, ignoring ignoring the warning of his advisers, left the palace and went alone through the streets of Naples and began to minister to the sick. He went from crowded hospital to crowded hospital. Many suffering people breathed prayers of gratitude to this young medical servant not knowing he was the very king that they spurned. And when the plague was finally checked, many learned the true identity of the noble nurse who had cared for them. Naples then became a conquered city, not by force of the king, but by the love and pity of the monarch, it once refused. From then on, the people of Naples became Humbert's most loyal subjects. Isn't that a nice parallel for what Jesus did for you and for me? He came down here, ministered to the brokenness of humanity. He's still ministering to the brokenness of us. And he commands loyal angels to work with us. And he commands us to work with loyal angels. Amen? Amen. And in that tremendous measure of grace, that tremendous love that He has for you and for me, we can say, let us honor our King. Amen? Amen. Let us honor our King.
0: This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton H-O-X-T-O-N Park SDA Church. God tells us in Joshua 1:9, Have not I commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you today, no matter where you go. And we're told in Psalm 16, verse 8: I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Imagine God speaking these words directly to you. Do not be afraid. I'm with you wherever you go. How might this encourage you in different life circumstances, transitions you might be facing, like moving to a new home, starting a different job, experiencing a child move out of your home, or maybe even just another day at the office? Well, why not memorize one of these verses? Joshua 1.9, Psalm 16, verse 8. And let God remind you that He's with you right now and will continue to be with you every day for the rest of your life. So today, hide God's Word in your heart. And remember, live your faith, have a blessed day.
2: that makes a difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference do pulses make? The United Nations thinks that pulses, better known as beans or legumes, make so many impressive differences that it declared 2016 International Year of Pulses. Wow! Their goal is to position pulses as a primary source of protein and other important nutrients, such as antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals and fibre yet, they're low in fat and have zero cholesterol, which protects against heart disease, diabetes, cancer, obesity and more. And needing just a fraction of the land and water required for animal industries, and being so cheap, pulses are good for our planet, our wallet and our health. So enjoy pulses every day, they make heaps of difference. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.